kind of weird this year, isn't it, with Thanksgiving being the last week of November? It's usually not like that. So it's like, I'm a big, firm believer. I talked about a few of my messages that we celebrate the holidays in order. And so this is actually the first year that I had to move out of my comfort zone. And I had to put up our Christmas stuff about two weeks before Thanksgiving because we're all our traveling. Anyone here kind of like that? Like you celebrate Thanksgiving first and then you put the tree up? Is that just me? Anyone here? Okay, some, some good firm believers here. The rest of y'all will get saved towards the end of service, and so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, but uh, uh, right now, it's Christmas, and we are starting our Christmas series called Come to Worship. Everyone say worship. It's talking about coming to worship, and it seems like 2019 was here, and then now it has about to leave, and with it being December, it means Christmas at the Rock Church, and every year we do a Christmas series, and this year, I'm really excited for this one, because uh, my wife and I, we plan our Christmas series. Um, we kind of ask the Lord uh, kind of uh, what the Rock Church needs to hear, and uh, this one I have been praying for about a couple of years now um, uh, about a series on talking about worship. Um, if there's anything I think the American church can improve on, there's a lot of things the church can improve on, amen. Um, but the, the one thing that I think we can drastically improve on, uh, not just, uh, just, I'm not picking on this church, my church, um, but I think every church in general, is the aspect of worship, worshiping our God, worshiping our Father, our, our Lord in heaven. And uh, right now, it seems like Christmas is here. And I don't know if you guys know this about Christmas. Christmas is an amplifier, meaning that if your Christmas season is going really, really good, Christmas puts a magnifying glass and it seems like it's going even better. But it also goes in the opposite direction as well. If your holiday season is not going so well and it's kind of a bummer, Christmas season makes it even more of a bummer. And I don't know which camp you find yourself in, but I know this to be true, that no matter if it's good or a bad day, we're called to worship Jesus. We're called to worship Jesus in the midst of our triumph, also in the midst of our struggle. And so we're talking about come to worship. A lot of us, we have our Christmas decorations up. Um, some of us might get a little crazy with them. Anyone here to put Christmas lights on their house? I, I try to add a new Christmas light on, on my house every year. Um, my inspiration is Clark Griswold when it comes to Christmas decorating. I think that guy hit it out of the park as long as my cousin Eddie stays far away. Anyone say amen to that one, right? <laughs> we'll deal with him later. And so this year, we got our Christmas lights up. Last year, I don't know if you guys remembered, but I I actually installed my Christmas lights backwards, and where I needed to plug into, I had to take them all back down. And it, and it was so funny, you guys say, oh, but what happened was, is uh, some uh, one of the guys in our church, a handy, handyman guy came up, and he built me a special plug-in that's totally not up to code. And, and he says, hey, uh, this will work. It's got two mail-ins on each end. Just don't let one get wet, and you'll be fine. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? You want me to put this on top of my roof where it's going to have water and snow? He's like, yeah, you'll be totally fine. And I did it, and it worked. And so I didn't have to take it all down. This year, I actually paid attention. Woo! And I uh, got them all installed. Uh, we put up a lot of stuff in our house. We like trying to make our house kind of like a Hallmark movie, warm, cozy. We even have the LED fireplace. It really sets the mood for those of you who want to have kids. Hint, hint. Um, and it's going, uh, it, we'll put that aside. Some of you guys are like, yeah, we'll put that aside. Um, but we got everything decorated. Today, we're actually uh, doing a Farnbrook tradition. 
It's on Jill's side of the family where we uh, eat Ibble Skivers. Have you guys had Ibble Skivers before? Some of you, every year we try to invite someone to our house, some of you guys have Ibble Skivers. But what they are, they're ball-shaped pancakes. You get a special little pan, and you put, like, pie filling, like blueberries and raspberries and uh, peach. It's really, really good. And you dust them with sugar. And then if you want more sugar, you dip them in maple syrup. And then we have, like, the, the, like the mini hot dogs with them. And I don't know why. They do that, but every year we do that at our house, and today we're putting up our Christmas uh, ornaments on the tree. And I don't know about you guys, but this year um, we added a new uh, kind of nativity set. Anyone here have more than one nativity set in their house? We have like a bunch. We have one that the kids can play with. Uh, We have one that's supposed to stay on the shelf. We have a bear nativity set. I don't know why that's not even biblical, but we got one that's like little cuddly bears. And then we have the really nice nativity set, like super, super nice. My grandma gave it uh, to me for our wedding gift. And it's it's got real gold, frankincense, and myrrh in it so you can experience it. And it takes up a whole countertop. And it's it's very nice. It's all very expensive. Um, But I think my kids have started playing with it over the past couple years because this year, um, the donkey is missing an ear that got chopped off at some point in time. Mary has a broken arm, um, so she's really struggling to hold baby Jesus because baby Jesus doesn't have a manger to sleep in. And so it's just, it's a very, man, <laughs> so uh, if you want a biblical nativity scene, don't come to my house uh, because everyone is broken and damaged and we're doing the best that we, we can. But it's this nativity scene that a lot of us, we have in our house. We have maybe multiple or maybe just one. And the reason we have it is because this is what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, and as we look at this nativity scene, you can see a whole bunch of different things, and there's even a bunch of different Christmas messages about the nativity scene. But there's an aspect of the nativity scene that I just love, because in the nativity scene, you have uh, Mary, Joseph, you got baby Jesus in a manger, and then you have uh, the wise men, and they're, they're all doing different things. You have the wise men carrying their gifts, you have Mary holding her heart, or the, or the baby, Joseph looks like he's praying, and I don't know what's going on with the rest of them, uh, but it, there's an aspect of worship happening in the nativity scene. There's an aspect of worship happening in the nativity scene. In fact, the whole picture of the nativity, and it is the very reason the wise men searched out Jesus, was worship. All that happened, all the scene is all about worship. And in fact, Matthew 2, 2, uh, this is exactly what the wise men were on. He says, where is the newborn king of the Jews, meaning Jesus? We saw his star as it rose. We have come to, say it with me, worship him. We've come to worship him. And what I love about this and love about the nativity scene is that the wise men did not come to Jesus to get something. Say that one more time. The wise men did not come to Jesus to get something, but actually to give something to him. And I know this is kind of weird, and you might say amen, you might agree with this, but in our Western culture, we have treated Jesus actually the very opposite. We kind of say, Jesus, I'm coming to you because I'm expecting something from you. The wise men did not come to Jesus to get something from him, but they, gave, they came to Jesus to give something to him, and that was their worship. And sadly, in our part, Christianity has been mostly about what we can get from God. And, and what we have done is we put ourselves uh, kind of in the center of the Christian faith. I know that seems kind of uh, almost blasphemous, and it is essentially, but we have in our Christian faith said, you know what, it's all about me. The faith is about me. In fact, we even say religion is my privacy. 
And Jesus has actually created the entire faith to be quite the opposite. I think sometimes we treat God like kind of a holy vending machine. Like if we do good enough deeds, we say enough nice things, we put money in the Salvation Army bucket, we buy a toy for a kid that doesn't have toys. And those are all great things. Those are all really good things. We don't cuss through the week. We, we do all the good Christmas things. Almost like we kind of treat Jesus like Santa Claus so we can end up on his nice list and not the naughty list. And then maybe God will do something for me. I'm telling you today, church, it's actually quite the opposite. Jesus is not a vending machine. You can't put in your good deed quarter and press a button and get the sweet treat out at the end. He works quite the opposite. And in fact, the first point in your notes is this, just kind of kick this whole come to worship series off, is God is not here for us. We're actually here for God. God is not here for us. We're actually here for God. God did not create us so that he can serve us and kind of be like our magic genie where we rub the lamp and he pops out and says, hey, thank you for coming relation with me. I'll give you three wishes. What do you want? Again, it's the opposite. If you read scripture, Jesus says, hey, uh, we're in a relationship, so that actually means you, you, you got to die to yourself. Which is totally weird in today's era because we've got books out, even Christian books. And I would say, be wary, just, just because it says Christian number one bookseller doesn't mean it's not reflecting the heart of Jesus. Because right now, the whole kind of center thing is find about you. Who are you? Be you, you know, kind of that whole like find who you are and be your best self. But Jesus says, actually, don't be yourself. Come to me, die to yourself, and I'll make you into a new creation. When it comes to Christmas and it comes to worship, we need to know that God is not here for us. He will show up for you, but I'm saying he didn't create you so he could serve you like a genie in a lamp. We're actually here for God. And I believe this is an era that the church can improve on is, is this area of worship to our God. And as your pastor, I believe this is something that our church, specifically the Rock Church, can do better. Not only corporately on Sunday, because we worship corporately. I mean, this morning's worship was beautiful. Uh, one of the cool things that I love uh, that I've been praying for, uh, for our worship time is that we could actually hear people singing. And over the past uh, six months, been Andrew, our team's been talking about that. It's like we can step back from the mics and you guys just take the song away. And that's worship. We love that. We don't want worship to be a spectating show. But we don't want worship to stop here. We don't want worship just to stay in these four walls. In fact, I would say for you as your pastor, because my job is to poke and prod you to, 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 gain, to go further in Jesus, is to take this worship into your homes. Take it into your cars while parked, please. Don't raise your hands and get all worshipy while you're driving. That's not good. But take this worship experience to your homes. And the thing is, if this is the only time we worship Jesus is on the Sunday morning with the three songs that we sing, you're missing it completely. If this is all you do for worship, we're missing it completely because God, again, we're here for God. God created us to worship him, which means each and every one of us is a worshiper. We don't just do worship. Worship is not something that we just participate, but you are, in fact, in your DNA, you are a worshiper. God created you to worship him. And the scary fact is, is if you're not worshiping him, you're worshiping something else. Because you are created to worship. 
And so I want to kind of start there that you are a worshiper. It's in your DNA to worship. So in the next four weeks, as we build up to Christmas, we're going to look at some various positions of worship. And today, we're looking at the aspect of lifting our hands. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at bringing our gifts. The third week, we're going to be looking at pouring out our hearts. And the fourth week, we're going to be looking at bowing our knees. Each of these four areas, I think that we, even myself, can improve on or go further in. And my prayer for us is that as we go through this series, we would begin to cultivate a new attitude when it comes to worshiping Jesus, that it would provoke an action of worship on our part because this is something I think we can improve on. In fact, worship is so important to God. If you look at any battle in scripture, who does he send first? The worshipers. And we're going to be talking about that, why we lift our hands, why we worship, why do we sing, why do we uh, raise our hands and go to our knees or even stay flat on our face? Like, why is that important? Because it's powerful. I grew up in a small Pentecostal church in uh, Miles City, Montana, and uh, Pentecostals, uh, we like to move a little bit during our worship. Um, I don't know about you guys, uh, but we like to move just a little bit in our worship, and if you've ever been to a church, or maybe in our church, um, or grew up in a different style of church, if you were to visit our church in Miles City, uh, you'll see a few things that may seem a little weird to you, especially during the worship time. You see, there was a strange phenomenon that would happen. It would be like right in the middle of a song, particularly at the bridge point. I don't know why, but at the bridge, where it's the kind of the big anthem, everyone in our church, uh, it was a small church, about maybe 20-some people, and... Uh, uh, at this bridge point, they, they build up the music, and we all get amped up, and all of a sudden, everyone's hands would just go to the air. And as a kid, I thought that was kind of weird until I understood what was happening. As a visitor or a guest to our church, I can definitely understand, like, oh, that's kind of awkward. What's happening? We're surrendering. We're doing the YMCA. Uh, what's going on? Some people are raising their hands like this. Someone's going like this. Someone's going like this. And it's just like, what's going on? Uh, my wife says, got to be careful because the people go like this. You got to make sure you sit three seats that way. Or they might clothesline you. And so it's just really, it's just like, what is going on? What, what, what's happening here? And not everyone has their hands raised in the same fashion. Um, some people in the air, some had like two hands. Some people, what I usually do, I have the coffee in one hand, hand in this hand. That's kind of the good old coffee hand hold, hand raise thing. That's what I do. Anyone here like that? Anyone here like that? Oh, come on, church. Come on. Let's be interactive today. Anyone like that, right? You guys are, you guys are following me. And this is considered actually to be a part of our worship. And in fact, if your church did this, uh, your church would probably get the nickname in the Christian community. And our church has that nickname as well as that's a hand raising church. You guys have heard that. That's a hand-raising church. And let me tell you, we are a hand-raising church. And so, and it's not because it's weird. It's not because it's goofy. It's not because we're surrendering or doing the YMCA or we're just trying to, you know, get a workout in for the morning. It's because we want to worship our God expressively. And we do that through lifting our hands. And we do that. And I'm not saying that to dog on the churches that don't raise their hands. Uh, I'm good friends with the pastors of those places. It's just, for me, when I come before God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, and he gave the stars a nickname, and he knew me before I was born. It was every head on, uh, hair on my head. And he, he, he sees my past but still loves me now so I can have a better future. I can't help to come before Jesus and expressively worship him. Because he's that great of a God. And I actually feel a little guilty if I come before with him with my worship, hands tucked in my pockets and kind of swaying side to side. And just wondering, is this over yet? Vong sang off key on that second song. Did you hear that? 
In fact, uh, worship was so important in our church. There's, there's one thing that, uh, there's a few things I took away from my small beginnings, but one of them was I was really taught, it doesn't matter how musically the worship goes, man, if it's just trash can symbols banging up there, you better find a way to worship through it. And I know that sounds so weird because it's easy to worship when the music set is good. Trust me, I like the goosebumps too. But what happens when the times are bad and the goosebumps are gone? And you'll feel like King David felt, the passage we're going to read here pretty quick. What if he felt like that and God's just really far gone? How do you worship then? But today we're going to be talking about raising our hands. And just to kind of kick this off, there's a comedian that I love to follow, uh, Tim Hawkins. He talks about hand-raising churches, and it's really, really funny. So I want to share, feel free to laugh. We're going to dim the lights just a little bit and go ahead and check out this video. I think uh, this video might have just ruined some hand-raising for the worship now. But when it comes to worshiping Jesus, uh, lifting up our hands uh, is about a response to God. And that's what it comes down to. It's our response to God. And maybe I should say it this way. The second point in your notes is we lift our hands as a response to God's goodness. We lift our hands as a response to God's goodness. And for you, for those of you who have always wondered, like, what the pastor is going to ask at the end of the message, you've kind of been wondering what's going to happen. Yes, towards the end of today's service, we're going to worship. And I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. And I, and I would dare say, even if you don't feel like it or if it's just not your style of worship, uh, maybe you're new here or maybe you've never raised your hands, I would encourage you just join us this morning as we raise our hands in worship because it is a response to God's goodness. And not because the pastor wants you to, but because something happens, dare I say supernaturally happens when we raise our hands to Jesus as we worship. In scripture, all over, we read of people worshiping and lifting their hands. One particular person was a guy by the name of King David in Psalm 6. You guys can open your Bibles there. It'll be on the screens behind me. But in Psalm 63, David was at a very low point in his life. If you know David's story, he started as a shepherd. He was anointed to be king. He had to wait a little bit. He'd done some really crazy things in his life. He became king. And even when he became king, it wasn't happily ever after. He still messed up over and over and over again. And at this point, he's at a low point in his life. People are coming at him to kill him. And he's just crying out to God with all of these issues and struggles and he comes to the point and he's crying out and I want to see if you can relate to this this is King David he's crying out in this in Psalm 63 he says oh God you are my God I earnestly search for you my soul thirsts for you my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water how many of you guys have you have, have you felt like that like you're longing for God to come to intervene in your life. You're waiting for Jesus to show up. You're waiting for that victory to come in your life. And you're wondering, God, where are you? Like, I, I'm thirsty for you, but my thirst is not quenched. My body's hungry for you, but I'm starving. It feels like I'm in a desert and there's no life. God, where are you in my life? And let me tell you, even as a pastor, I have been there many, many, many times. And when you're in this place like King David, it is so hard to lift your hands in worship. But look at David's response despite his situation. In verse 2, he says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Verse 3, your unfailing love is better than life itself. 
How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You can put worship in there as well. You see, lifting our hands is an act of worship. Lifting our hands is not a response to how good the music is. Lifting our hands is not a response to how good Vaughn preaches Sunday morning. Lifting our hands is not just when I get the goosebumps and I feel good. Lifting our hands is saying, God, you are good all the time, despite how I feel right now. And let me tell you, when you get to that part in your walk with Jesus Christ, oh, are you a powerful person for Jesus. Because even King David, he was, he was waiting for God. He was thirsty for Jesus. But he, nothing, it didn't seem like nothing was wrong. He's like, even though I'm in the wilderness, God, you are still good. God, you are still good. I've had a few experiences, a few low points in my life where I can honestly say it, it reflected this piece of scripture where we just read where I was searching for an act of God, but God, it seemed like God didn't show up. And it's not because God was abandoned me, not because God, he forgot. It's just because it wasn't that point in time where God was supposed to do something. But I thought, God, where are you? And I still had to lift my hands in worship. We've had ups and downs with our daughter, with her diagnosis with, with, with Down syndrome. Uh, she had open heart surgery with a crack open her chest. We didn't know if she was going to make it through. Uh, we didn't know what her life would be like, how long she would live, what her uh, life, it would be a good fruitful life, or it would be a life full of medication and doctor visits over and over and over again. We've had a miscarriage a few years ago that really marked our life. We had things that were church-related that just caused us a lot of stress and heartache. It'd keep me and my wife awake up at night. I, was just, I, I would just kind of break down and just cry. But each of these moments, all of these things, led me to a place where I had to raise my hands to God because I didn't know what else to do with my life when it seemed uncertain. And more times than not, church, it would lead me to this top step right here where I'd kind of sit down and just kind of sulk and drop my shoulders, but I would raise my hands. And I just, and, and let me tell you, I'm not a beautiful prayer guy. I don't have elegant language. I, I can't pray and make you feel good. But I, I, what I prayed at that point, I said, God, I have no idea what to do. Would you do something? God, I'm at my wit's end. Would, would you just say something? Give me a sign. It could just be a fly buzzing around or something. Like you're waiting for an act of God. And you're reaching out to anything possible. But nothing's happening. And in those times, I tell you what got me through it, it was not a miracle, an act of God. Those things are great. Trust me, I had a few of those in my life. But what got me through is despite what I felt, I still praised Jesus. I still praise God. And I would pray and pray and pray, and I would say things like, my life is not the best right now. I don't know what to do, but God, I have seen you work before, and I know that you will do it again. God, I lift my hands to you, not because I expect you to do something, but because that no matter what happens, you are still good. And I want to lift my hands to you. And I would pray as followers of Jesus in this room that we would come to this point that no matter what our circumstances, we would still lift our hands to God. 
Not because we expect him to do something, but because we are saying God is still good no matter what. Here's another thing about raising our hands. This one is the one kind of pressed on my heart, is God wants men to raise their hands in worship. God wants men to raise their hands in worship. And I just noticed that it was only just a few women that said amen at that time. Because there's something powerful here. Let me share this piece of scripture out of the New Testament. This is Paul giving Timothy some instruction to help his church to worship, especially the men. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 2.8. He says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, in the Bible, where we have terms where God says men or mankind, we think of men meaning women and men and both. But at this point, this is talking about men, man, male. He wants men to raise their hands and worship. And just from my time in the church, I'm a pretty young guy. But from what I see, it's usually the men who are the last one to raise their hands and worship. And more times than not, it takes something like the pastor get up front and said, hey, guys, let's raise our hands. And I would dare say God wants men to be the first one to raise their hands. I don't know why men don't do it. I, it, it could be a pride thing or it could feel weird or, or maybe it doesn't feel manly. And maybe that's kind of it. Let me hit that for a little bit. Because we think lifting our hands, we actually think uh, when it comes to worship, it's kind of more of a feminine thing. And let me tell you, it is not. It is not. The heroes of the faith, especially the men, they were worshipers of God. They were on their knees, on their face, hands lifted high, proclaiming that God is good. And I believe, especially right now, right now, we're at a pivotal moment in our church, in the spiritual generation, in our country, where God is seeking men to come back to the heart of worship, to raise their hands lifted high and praising Jesus. And trust me, I know it might feel weird. It might seem not manly. But when the men come back to the heart of worship and just raise their hands, watch your culture and your society, even North Platte, change. There is a spiritual mantle on the men when it comes to worship. And sadly, I think more times than not, the men have taken it off of their shoulders and just laid it down and said, someone else will do it. God wants men to raise their hands. Men, let me speak to you. God desires for you to raise your hands in worship to him. Why? Because there is a spiritual mandate that I believe that we have lost years ago that set that men set the tone of worship for their marriage, for their families, and even the church. And I'm not saying we're kicking the women aside, because let me tell you, women, you have done a good job carrying this spiritual mantle in the church. But let me tell you, men, we've got some growing up to do. We've got some manning up to do. Because if we want to be like King David and be a man after God's own heart, if we want to be Joshua and be a courageous man, we've got to come back to the place of worship. In fact, I just did a little study on this because I, I don't want to preach on a soapbox. And so I did some studies. It's called uh, Pew Research. They research all things church. And uh, the research company says this. It says that women attend church more than their male counterparts that women find church more important in their lives than men, 
and that women spend more time in prayer, reading scripture, and participate in daily worship than men. And I don't say all of this is that, you know, women, you know, knock women off the pedestal or anything like that. But men, step up in your walk with Christ and step up to your spiritual leadership in your house and in the church. Let me say it this way. When I'm gone and I have to have someone preach, it's usually women. In fact, that's all who's preached there. And I'm looking for men who say, you know what, I'm going to rise up to the calling and do something with the spiritual leadership that God has placed in my life. There's nothing wrong with women preachers. Trust me, our denomination is found by a women preacher, and I love women preachers. My wife is an awesome women preacher. But let me tell you this, we need guys to step up. If you want your marriage better, men, start to worship If you want your fatherhood to be better, step up and worship. If you want to be a better husband, step up and worship. If you want to break that whole adultery and pornography and sexual immorality, that's the generational curse in your house, step up spiritually. This is your role that God has placed on your life. Husbands, don't let your wife out-worship you. You want a strong marriage? Lift your hands and worship. Dads, don't let your kids out-worship you. You want kids that follow Jesus through their entire lives? Step up, lift your hands, and worship. Men, if you want to be a strong man of God, you want to be a courageous man and be a man after God's own heart, lift your hands and worship because our God desires men to rise up and to lift their hands. God desires that. I mean, if we take another step further, we do it every Saturday for the team in red. Man, I've never seen guys jump for joy and woo, lose their voice and all that. But it comes a Sunday, it's... Let me tell you, the team in red didn't die for you. Team in red didn't give you purpose. Team in red doesn't give a rip about you. But Jesus does. So why not lift our hands and worship to him? I believe the reason my faith is so strong is that the church I grew up in, it was the men that raised their hands first. In fact, the small church I grew up in was mostly men. And let me tell you, it built my faith so strong. And let me tell you, these weren't just men, maybe with a feminine attitude. These were manly men. Like, these got done, like, killing a bear, wrestling a calf, and giving birth to a cow. And then they'd come in, chaps and boots and all, and lift their hands in worship. So, men, let's raise our hands. Okay, I'll get off the soapbox. So when we come to this point, I guess the question is this, is why do we lift our hands? When we know God wants us to lift our hands, but why? This is a couple points. I'll go through these. It's because of this. When we lift our hands in worship, God draws near to you. 
When we lift our hands and worship, God draws near to you. Now, to be honest, there isn't a piece of scripture that says, you know, lift your hands up and God draws near. But I know that one of God's name is Abba, which is Hebrew for daddy or papa. And dad, and, or I guess it translates down to dad. And there's a really cool picture with this name. I've been a dad for about five years now. And to kind of put it out there, um, you might think I'm not very human after this, but I'm not a big fan of babies. Like, I know, that seems really mean, doesn't it? Like, someone says, oh, look at this baby. I'm like, huh. looks like an alien that got squished. It's kind of <laughs> big eyes, and it's not the, even my own kids, I mean, Jill's like, oh, it's a precious baby. It's so cute. I'm like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll take pictures. I'll hold them. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. And so, but, but what, what I really love, though, I really love, is when the baby turns into a toddler. That is like my favorite part of fatherhood right now. Now, my wife would say the opposite because they're running around and they're doing all this stuff. They're not as cute anymore. My thing is like from a baby, babies can't do tricks for you, all right? Toddlers, toddlers get their own personality. They start doing some funny things. But one of the best things I like is when they get their first few words and each of our kids' first words was daddy. Each of them. It was daddy. Not only daddy, but they get that kind of Frankenstein wobbly walk like this. Kind of, and then they would see dad. It happens every time I come home from work. They would see dad, and they kind of try to walk as much as they can, and then they'd raise their hands. Now, for me, my instinct is to pick them up and bring them in close. If one of God's nicknames is Papa, I would have to say, when we lift our hands to our Father, his instincts has got to be to pick us up and to bring us close. And that's why I think I can say here confidently that the reason why we lift our hands is when we lift our hands, God draws close. And in fact, it's not just any toddler. I think anyone here sees someone lift their hands to you. What's your instinct? It's to pick them up and to bring them close. Because no loving father would turn from the lifted hands of his child. And every time I've lifted my hands to my heavenly father, he has always drew near. James 4.8, I know it's a typo in your notes, but James 4.8 says, come close to God. And God will come close to you. When we draw near to God with hands lifted high, God draws near. Another reason we lift our hands, when we lift our hands in worship, it's an offering of praise. Again, King David is a great example. Psalms 141, 1 through 2 says this. It says, oh, Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. <laughs> How many of us have said that? Lord, you're running late right now. Come on, buddy. Let's, like, where are you? You're running a little bit late. Please hurry, listen when I cry for your help. Verse two, accept my prayer as an incense offered to you and upraised hands as an evening offering. When we worship our hands lifted, it's considered an offering to God. When we raise our hands in worship, it's considered an offering to God. Do you have to do it? No. Should you do it? Well, you are worshiping the creator of the entire universe. He created you. He gave you plan and a purpose. Blessings and mercy and grace every single day. 
Not old ones, but new ones. So why wouldn't we? Some of us, after this message, we're going we're gonna to raise our hands. And some of us, it might be your first time raising your hands. But let me tell you, when you're doing it, you're giving an offering of worship to the Lord. And it may feel awkward because you've never done it, and that's okay. But let me tell you, it pleases God. And what you're telling God is, I maybe don't feel like raising my hands, but I'm going to anyways. Not because I expect anything from you, but because I'm going to raise my hands of who you are, and I know you desire this from me. This is my offering of praise to you, God. When we lift our hands, God loves it when we do. He truly does. He draws near and is considered an offering. Here's the last reason we raise our hands, and this is my favorite one, is when we lift our hands in worship, we declare war. When we lift our hands in worship, we declare war. Some of you right now, you are in a war and you feel like you're losing. You have been battle after battle and you have experienced loss after loss. And I would encourage you, lift up your hands. There's a beautiful picture of this. I pray over this. Any pastor that we ordain, uh, any leader that we anoint, but it's Exodus 17, 10 through 13. Moses is about to go to war and he tells Joshua to pick his best men to go to battle when they fight. And Moses, he says, I'm gonna be on a hill right next to this battle. I can see everything going on and I'm gonna lift my hands up to the sky. Why? Because they need God to help them win this battle. And what happens next is super interesting. Check this out. I'm read this. It's uh, three verses, starting in verse 10. It says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her, one on each side, held up his hands, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Some of us were in a battle, and you're losing. Your enemy is gaining ground. You suffered loss, you suffered casualties. And it could be a battle in your money. It could be a battle in your marriage. It could be a battle in your addictions. And you're losing this battle because you are fighting it by yourself. And from what we just read, I know we need two things to win battles. Two things. You can write this down. They're not points. But two things to win battles. We need God and we need others. <laughs> we need God and we need others. Really quick. People, you need others. You need people that you can trust come alongside of you to help you, to hold up your hands when you get tired or you want to quit. I've got people in my life in this room and people outside of other churches that I can call on that says, hey, I'm at my wit's end. I want to quit. I want to hand in my resume. I just want to quit on this whole, whole deal. It's so frustrating. I don't know what's going to happen. And what they do, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down and let me help you. And they get on each side of me and they help me to worship God. 
Because let me tell you, even as a pastor, there's many times I don't want to worship him. Come on now. That's the very last thing I want to do. But they put me back on the feet of Jesus and say, no, 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 let me help you lift your hands. Let's, let, let's recount God's good, goodness in your life. Let's see what Jesus is up to. People who help me fight my battles. You need people like that in your life. You, let me say this one more time. Listen here, church. You need people like that. You are not meant to walk this Christian life alone. You need other brothers and sisters of Christ to help you fight your battles. Number The second one is, is you definitely need God to fight your battles. You definitely need God. Church, when you're going into your battles, lift up your hands, declare who your God is, and keep your hands raised to him because it is God that can bring the victory, not by you, not on your own strength, but only God through God. Only God. Moses wasn't just up there holding his hands up watching the battle, but he was praying, he was worshiping. And when his hands were lifted in praise, the battle was in their favor. But when he lowered his hands, the enemy prevailed. And when they were straight out, they were tied. I don't know, that was a joke. But I know this. You need to raise your hands when it comes to fighting your battles. Church, lift up your hands. Lifting both hands, and we'll wrap up with this. Lifting both hands in the air has meant two things throughout history. It's meant victory. Woo, we won. It's also meant I surrender. I yield. I forfeit. But there's only one place in history where that, that has meant the same thing at the same time. It's when you come before Jesus and say, Lord, I'm yours. Let me tell you, when you do that, you, have, you, you will yield. But you have victory at the same time. And that is why I'm so passionate on worship and so passionate on raising our hands. Our team will be singing a song in a few minutes. And when I ask you to stand, I want you to do two things. I want you to sing. I don't care if you suck at singing, who cares? Raise your voice to God. And I want you to lift your hands. I don't care if it's just one hand. I don't care if you gotta start from down here or do the whole Tim Hawkins things, I don't care. But let's do a physical response to our God that we're worshiping. And here in a moment, we're gonna take communion. And Phyllis is gonna talk about how Jesus, his hands were stretched out and he was worshiping and he was dying for you. I just want to worship our father this morning. Will you stand?